are uh, beginning a series today entitled Family Matters. For the next three weeks, uh, really I had planned to do this for four weeks, but because of having uh, Dr. Grant Jones come in on the 28th, I just knocked it down to three weeks. So um, I really wanted to have him here, and that was the date that worked well for us, especially with doing the gathering that evening as well. So for the next three weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about families, all right? All of that together. And we're talking about how God should be at the center of our family and our marriage. Whatever it is, if you've got kids or if it's just the two of you, whatever it may be, how God is at the center. And there's a scripture that we're going to build this whole series off of, and it's Matthew 6.33. And this is what it says. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, whatever it is in your marriage that you're looking for, that you need, if you will seek God, you're going to find it in your marriage. You're going to find it in your family if you seek first the kingdom of God. So that's where we're headed today. And what we did is today you're going to see a video. I'm going to be honest with you, it's a little bit long, as in like 10 minutes long. But I want you to hear from a couple who is keeping God at the center of their relationship before marriage. They're engaged to be married. They'll be married in about three months. And they graduated from Northwest. And uh, they both are preparing for that now. They have a house. They're preparing to be married. They are trying to do things a godly way. And so what I did is I had Mark sit down with them. I couldn't be with them on this day. So Mark sat down and asked them some questions. Next week, we're going to hear from another family, the next generation, you'd say, like uh, about 30, and they, in their 30s, excuse me, and they have three kids. And we're going to ask them how they keep God at the center of their relationship and in their marriage, and then uh, in, in their family, excuse me. And then the last week, on the 21st, we're going to have some couples up here actually with us in the room, and we're just going to ask some questions of some of those who maybe have some older kids, and how you continue that on through to the next generation. So that's really where we're going over the next three weeks. Before I even begin speaking, I want to let you check out this video, and then we'll jump back in to the message. So here we go. It's a rare condition this day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page. And love and tradition of the grand design, some people say it's even harder to find. Well, then there must be some magic clue inside these gentle walls. Cause all I see is a tower of dreams, real love bursting out. So Tristan, Lily, what are you guys doing to be proactive moving forward when it comes to God's work? I would say the biggest thing we probably do is encourage each other um, to spend time in his word before anything else. Um, there was a season where we would kind of fit his word in wherever we could, if we could, in all honesty. And now it's daily questions that we ask to like, hey, like, what did you read this morning? Um, how are you applying that? How are you living that out? And how are you showing it to others? Um, it's pretty common in our discussion. Mm -hmm. 
There's like sometimes when, I mean, there was a season and like even like last month that mm -hmm. we found ourselves, like if we would be texting in the morning and then like we wouldn't hear from each other for like 45 minutes to an hour, we'd be like, oh, sorry, I was reading my Bible. And then we're like, wait a minute, we should not be sorry about spending time with God. Okay, so like if we don't hear from each other, we're like, oh, hey, I was reading. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, what did you read? You know, so it just kind of also keeps us both accountable. You can almost kind of tell when someone just hasn't really spent quality time with God lately, you know? And so there's times when one of us are struggling, like I struggle too. I want to make sure that's that's vocalized, like I fall short. And there'll be times like, hey, like, what's your time with God been like lately? And how can I encourage you um, to just be more transparent um, in that time? So. so what did you guys do before you were dating to prepare for where your relationship is right now, being engaged? Yeah, pretty easy answer. We did absolutely nothing. Um, before we dated the second time, because we, we dated our sophomore year of, high, mm -hmm. of college, we broke up. Um, yep. and then found God um, individually and then came together. Um, but we did literally nothing. We need, we didn't know God. Uh, we did not live a righteous life. We were blind and dead in our sin, in all honesty. So yeah, literally nothing. <laughs> and then like with this season, once we got to know Jesus and um, just have a relationship with him in his salvation, he's honestly done it for us, if that makes sense. Like he'll, um, he'll either have people speak truth to us and like, hey, like you might want to rethink what you're doing or how you're looking at your relationship or also working as um, on like an individual level so I can be a better future husband um, to Lily. Definitely in that season when we were apart is like when God was like hey like I need your attention and like we didn't like fully understand that like now looking back we're like whoa but which is really cool. 2020 was a tough year for a lot of people yeah. Yeah. and to feel like whenever we hear some testimony of like this happened good in 2020 yeah. that's great so is there anything else this year that you can look back and just be like, hey, we've grown closer in this area? Um, definitely just being more vulnerable with each other when we're struggling um, because there are multiple times when, I mean, I can be honest, like I sometimes would hold Tristan on a pedestal, which is not fair to him at all. But just seeing like his growth sometimes would make me want to grow, but then that would just eat at me too so instead of like being happy for what God's doing in his life I was spending multiple hours multiple minutes being like why can't I be better at this why can't I be stronger at this like I'm not going to be a great wife if I can't grow in these things which is a complete lie because you know the Lord can change me in those ways I would say vulnerability has been yeah. the word that would summarize our relationship this year um, I used to like believe the lie that hey I'm going to be her future husband which means I'm going to lead her um, in multiple aspects of life and so I have to be as perfect as I can possibly be and she cannot see my weakness and that was just a complete lie like the more I let her see my weakness the more I let her see what God was working on you know if anything it let me show her God more and like how he was working on me because at first like you know we were encouraged a lot when we first got engaged to make sure that we were protecting our hearts because like we struggled a lot at the beginning of our relationship we were struggling with not yet being married because we were engaged and we were like okay well like it'll be fine like we'll get there but Honestly, had we not been encouraged to protect our hearts and like make sure that we were keeping that distance and keeping that boundary and like going to our close um, like Christian friends being like, hey, like this is what I'm struggling with to then talk to them about it and then be able to bring it to each other. That way we weren't doing married things before we were married. And it's just crazy because like it's not talked about. And when you talk about it, it's like, yeah, me too. And like you hear a bunch of people saying like, yeah, me too. And it's like, yeah. let's talk about it. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah things should be talked about mm -hmm. because then, I mean literally scripture tells us like if we don't bring it into the light we'll stay in the dark yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're about to get married in May 
So close. That's very exciting. What do you see your family looking like in the next five years? Yeah. I would say like serving God and however he calls us to. Um, we have like our ideas, our desires, and our callings, um, but whenever he's ready to open the doors, we'll walk through them. Um, I would love for it to be tomorrow if it's an option, you know? <laughs> um, but his timing over ours, just if he blesses us with children, um, just serving them um, and raising them up in a Christian household, you know? Five years seems like so, so far away, but then I think, well, five years ago, I was in college, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, five years ago, so we really literally, yeah, five years ago, or almost six, Especially almost six? Year. Yeah, yeah, we would have met, we met. Yeah, I've got gray hair now. Wild. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm gonna say is gonna sound completely um, against culture, which, good, in all honesty. Um, I have to put myself in check to make sure I'm loving God more than I'm loving Lily. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean I love Lily less, it just means I love God more, right? Yeah. We went, there, were, there were times, there was one time I called Lily my second love and she looked at me like, do we need to talk? <laughs> and like, we explained like, that's something that I need to focus on is making sure I'm loving God before I'm loving Lily. Cause the only way I can love Lily is if I love God more. There was, I mean, literally in, what, in our devotional, there was one week that we were like, hey, like what are expectations that we have for each other? And an expectation that he has for me is to, is to put God before him and to love God more than him. And at first I was like, I mean, yeah, like, duh. But, and then I, like, pondered over it for months now, and I'm like, wow, like, just making sure that I do do that because some days it's it's hard to love God more than him, but then it's like, am I worshiping that our relationship more than I am him? And, yeah. How does your relationship with each other influence every other aspect of your life? Honestly, now that I'm, like, adulting, like... <laughs> <laughs> like on a different level, yeah. <laughs> now that I'm adulting, like I, um, I just bought a house for us to move into when we get married, and um, I have a job. And with COVID, like as the as the man, like I need to provide for my family. And so honestly, it's a little bit more. I feel like a little more pressure. Like every decision I make is going to affect every aspect. Essentially, at this point, um, the safety nets of college and of being a kid are, are gone, which is a little sad. But it's also really cool because I get to. I feel like I'm relying on God on a deeper level than I ever have before. And then also just making sure that like we are like keeping our relationship the way that God needs it to or like wants it to be like saving ourselves for marriage and um, which I mean in our previous relationship was hard like I mean we weren't you know and so just making sure that that was like a conscious effort our friends didn't really understand and like sometimes um, our friends don't understand why we don't live together now and we just know that that's a temptation for us yeah. and so we're like no we're just gonna nope <laughs> not even. There even there's even some family that doesn't understand they're like wouldn't it be easier if Lily moved in I was like you're right it, it would, would be easier but it wouldn't glorify no. God <laughs> no you know? no So through this whole conversation, we're trying to answer the question, how do you, you keep God at the center of your relationship? So how do you guys do that? And also, if you have a bit of advice to share for a newly engaged couple or someone in a similar age as you guys, um, what would that be? Yeah, um, I have a lot of things I could say. I think, they're all, I think they're all perfectly summarized by accountability and transparency. Mm -hmm. Having a group of Christians who are just chasing after Jesus with everything they have mm -hmm. to also help you chase after Jesus um, and transparency so that you um, can experience his grace on a deeper level and also just experience his presence. I mean, accountability and transparency with God will lead you in so many different ways <laughs> and just br give you, bring, bring you so much freedom by experiencing his grace. So mm -hmm. 
Um, so get plugged in, um, get in a community of believers that are gonna encourage you uh, to live like God's called you to live. How cute is it to have an engaged couple that dresses alike, right? To be honest, Tristan and Lily, I, I'm going to tell them, they didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> uh, Tristan was already in town on a Saturday a couple weeks ago, and Lily drove up uh, to do the video, and when they got here, they realized they were dressed alike. So how funny was that? But hey, here's the thing. They took their Saturday to drive here and do this video for us. So can we give them a hand and say thank you? for sharing their life with us. So this really is the idea. And, and some of you are sitting here and you're like, we've been married 30 years. Why are we listening to an engaged couple? Well, again, what we're trying to establish is I believe there are some marriages that are struggling because they've never truly known what it was like to have God at the center. And that's really the whole point of every single week for, the next, for today and the next two weeks that we really talk about having God at the center. So we're going to start today by developing what we find in God's Word to be what God's plan is for marriage, what that looks like. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, whatever it is you use, turn to Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis. As we establish what marriage is, we're going to begin in the garden. So Genesis 1 gives us a complete narration of creation, right? But if you read Genesis 2, it actually is a recap. It's a story uh, of, of just filling in the details concerning the creation of man and the construction of marriage. That's what you're going to find in Genesis 1 and 2. So what we want to talk about today, as we look at Genesis and how God established marriage, I'm going to talk about three things. Note takers, you can write this down. We're going to talk about the problem, the provision, and the portrait. The problem, the provision, and the portrait. So let's get to the problem. In Genesis chapter 1, God's creating everything, right? The waters, the animals, day, night, all these things. And every time he would create something, at the end of the day, he would say, it is good. If you read, actually in verse 31, he even said, it is very good, right? So God's creating things, and everything he's creating, he's saying, it is good. By the time you get to chapter 2, and this is where we're going to look at, Genesis 2, 15 and Genesis 2, 18, if you want to look there with me. We get to Chapter 2, and he's recapping. We're talking about everything God has done in creation. In Genesis 2.15, it says, God creates Adam. He breathes life into him and puts him into a garden to work it and to take care of it. And then if you look at verse 18, we have a problem. Because all of a sudden, after everything was created and it was good, we see that it says, it is not good. Whoa, we're talking about perfect God. He's created something and he's saying, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Suddenly, there was a problem in paradise. There was a problem in the garden. Just as the Trinity lives in community, God sees that Adam is in need of companionship. He needs a partner. God created, created Eve to do what Adam could not do by himself. And that's how God designed the marriage relationship. The husband and the wife both need one another. 
So here we have it. God says it's not good for man to be alone. You would think that if you looked at the next verse, verse 19, it would say, so God created Eve. It doesn't say that. So we have this problem where God said it wasn't good for man to be alone in verse 18. But if instead of immediately creating this Eve, who would be the perfect match for Adam, look what he does. He sends Adam on a zoology project. He says, I want you to go and name all the animals. And so Adam is put to work. Even though God recognizes there needs to be a helper for Adam, he's delaying in creating her in order for Adam to see the need. See, God saw the need. Now he wants Adam to see it. Have you ever noticed that God sometimes does things in a delayed time? At least it seems like it to me. Maybe so that when I do get the thing I'm praying for or that I'm desiring, maybe I'll appreciate it more because it took a little longer than I expected or took a little longer than I wanted. I remember when I was in college and I was 18, 19, 20 years old and begin to have those thoughts in the back of my mind am I ever going to find the one? How many ever remember those thoughts? And I'm, I'm, I'm dating people, I'm, you know, hanging out with girls, but I'm just not finding the one. And I get to 21, 22, and I'm going, how old am I going to be? Is there anybody out there that'll like this ugly dude? But finally, I got somebody who was smart enough to see what a catch I am. <laughs> no, actually, finally... God sent me Courtney, and I remember being so grateful and so thankful, just as I am every single day, that God sent me my wife. But in this instance, Adam is naming the animals. He's saying, here's Mr. and Miss Aardvark, and here's Mr. and Miss Elephant, and Mr. and Miss Zebra. And as he's doing this, he's naming the animals, he's creating order to everything, but he begins to notice, where's mine? Where's my missus? So in verse 20, we see that it says, but for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. Adam discovers for himself in verse 20 what God already knew in verse 18. He needed a helper. He needed his mate. He had everything else going for him. He had a good job naming animals, doing everything God asked him to do, a sinless relationship with God, but something was missing. Do you know why that first day was so long for Adam? Because there was no Eve. Some of you will get that later. That wasn't that hard. It just wasn't that funny either, right? Okay, so we see the problem. There was a need for companionship. The second thing, we see the provision. There was a need for completion. So note takers, if you will, you can write this down. God created marriage to replicate God's nature and image on the earth. God created marriage to replicate God's nature and image on the earth. So I'm going to need some helpers. Dustin, can I borrow you? Come on up, man. I, I, need, um, I need, I'll take twins. Yes, this is perfect. They even look alike. Come on up, guys. Dustin, I'm going to put you in the middle. You're going to be the father. You're going to be the son. And you're going to be the Holy Spirit. All right, you guys feel important today? Feel special? Let's, let's review. Who are you? Father. All right. Son. Holy Spirit. All right. We got it. This is better than the Chiefs trivia. I can already tell. Since I have Adam and Brooke here, I'm going to ask Adam and Brooke, will you guys join me up here real quick? Here's what I'm looking at. All right. 
Remember Genesis 1.26, it says this, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Adam, if you'll stand right over here. Brooke, if you'll go stand by that speaker over there. We don't want her yet. All right? Right there, Adam. This is perfect because who did God create? Adam. Exactly. I thought it was so good that you were sitting right there. Thank you. But I want you to hear this again. Who's talking? It says, then God said. Who's talking? God. It's not hard, is it? He says this, though. He says, let us make mankind in our image. Who's the us? Okay, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So if you look at the Hebrew, there's lots of words for God, right? In Hebrew, but in this instance, when it says, then God said, if you look at it, it's the word Elohim. Anytime in the Hebrew that you have I am on the end of a word, it's plural. So that's why it says, God said, let us, Elohim said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image. There's a problem because there's how many here? Adam. Okay. It's not hard. Three, one, right? We got a problem. So what happens? We get provision. God steps in and he's Genesis 1:27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He made male and female. He created them. So he brought in Eve. You can come into the scene now. Now look at them. Act like you love each other. Come on now. Adam and Eve. So God created mankind in our image. But there's still a problem because how many's here? How many are over here? Exactly. You guys are great with math. There has to be something in the center of the lovebirds in order to create completion. And it's God. Now, my wife made sure to tell you today, I am not God. She wanted me to make sure you knew that. No, I'm not God. But today I will represent this. So does this not look like the image of God? So this is what we have to have. In order to have the marriage that God established, God has to be in the middle of Adam and Eve. You understand? Thank you, helpers. Give them a hand. So the problem was, Adam was alone. So God created Eve. This is what it says, Genesis 2, chapter 21 through 23, God addresses Adam's need for companionship. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the men's, man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man, for she was taken out of man. Okay? So Adam even got to name woe man. So when Adam found out he was getting a wife, he asked God, how much is it going to cost? And God said, an arm and a leg. And he said, how much can I get for a rib? <laughs> yes, these jokes are hitting it. I love it. You guys can tell that one later. It's only when God is at the center that we truly represent Elohim. It's when he is at the center of our marriage. So again, this is not just for engaged people today. This is not just for someone who's been married for two years. This is all of us in the room. If you want to understand how marriage was established by God, you understand that we are to represent Elohim on the earth, which is God at the center of our relationship. Here's how the rabbis said this. I love this as he was talking about 
what God had done in creating Eve. It says this, she was not taken from Adam's head that she should rule over him, nor from his feet that she should be trampled by him, but she was taken from his side that she might be his equal, from under his arm that she might be protected by him, near his heart that he might cherish and love her. I love the visual of that. To understand that Eve was fashioned from Adam, not to be identical, but to be complementary. That is what we do in marriage. It's possible to have unity even when we don't have uniformity. We're not identical. We've learned a long time ago men and women are totally different. And everybody could say amen to that. We're different. But it is possible to have unity even when we don't have uniformity. Eve, by design, was created to be different than Adam, but they were created to be together. And we represent Elohim. That's the purpose behind marriage. Ephesians 5.28, it says, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So she was created to take the loneliness away. She was created to bring oneness to the two of them. So we see the problem, we see the provision as God created Eve. Now let's talk about the portrait of marriage. And here it is, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. It says, for this reason. Now what's the reason? For this reason he brought them together, right? For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Some translations say cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is covenant language. When it says, leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, what that's saying is, that's covenant language. That was mentioned five times in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Jesus quoted it in the New Testament. And so I don't want you to get confused, note takers. We know that we have a problem, the provision, and the portrait. Under portrait, we got three things. We're going to leave we're going to cleave, and then we're going to weave. Leave, cleave, and weave, okay? So here we go. The first part is leaving. It said the father will leave his father, or excuse me, the husband will leave his father and mother, be united or cleave to his wife. The Hebrew word is very strong, and it actually means, when we say leave, it means to cut off or abandon. Now, that does not mean that we cut off our parents and abandon them and never talk to them again. What it really means is we shift our allegiance to the priority of giving all of our allegiance to our wife or our spouse, I should say, husband, if you're a female. But you're taking what you very much loved your parents. They were probably the most loved people in your life up until this point. But the moment you said, I do, you're leaving you're cutting and abandoning that relationship, not completely off to where you never talk to him again, but you're saying, my allegiance is now to my spouse. And there's order to this, because if you do not leave, you will not cleave. There's no cleaving unless we first leave. Parents, you have a job in this. You have to understand this as well. Parents, can I be honest with you? You got to let that daughter or son, whoever's getting married, bride or groom, you got to let them leave. If they call you and they say, I'm not happy, I want to come home, you remind them they have a home and it's not at your place anymore because they left. 
And when you recognize that you left those relationships in order to have this one, that's when you begin to cleave. Again, there is a very strong word here. Cleave actually means to glue together. To glue together. It has the idea of joining two things so tightly that they cannot separate without destroying both. I kind of picture like welding. I don't know much about welding, but I know this. If something is welded correctly, that part will break somewhere else before it breaks at that weld. That's how strong that weld can be. And Jesus picked up on this very thing as we're talking about the leaving and the cleaving. Jesus said this in Matthew 19, 6. He said, they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate, or let man not separate, however you want to say it. Jesus is saying, if it is established, created in the likeness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, husband, wife with God in the center, no one can separate that relationship. It is brought together by God. There's no such thing as falling out of love. And you have to be able to leave in order to cleave. But once you cleave, you don't leave. Once you've cleaved, you begin to weave. There's a lot of ease here, I know. Don't get this, don't, don't get this wrong or all confused. Once you leave and cleave, then you begin to weave, okay? If I can just be transparent with you for just a second. One of the hardest things as a pastor is when I'm standing here sharing with you what I would call biblical truth, because that's what it is. I'm literally just reading scripture to you. And, and when I'm really talking about things and sharing scripture with you, knowing there might be people in the room today that aren't living like this, that aren't doing what the scripture is saying. That's hard, because what it can do is come off as if I'm judging you. It can come off as if I'm condemning you. And that is not the case. I absolutely love every one of you. I just want you to know what God's word says. Because again, married or not, you can be 10 years into a marriage and be as miserable as the day is long. But it doesn't have to be that way. That can change today. If you understand the order and the way God created marriage, you can have that. You can have that unity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have. You can have that camaraderie, the way they help one another, the way they work with one another. You can have that in your marriage. That's my prayer. That's what I've been praying all week, is whoever you are, maybe you're not married yet, but you've been doing married things. Tristan and Lily talked about it. They had to stop. Once God came into their life, that's what they had to do. Again, Jesus said, you're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, not what man has joined together, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Two things that our culture wants to tell you. How many shows have you seen where they literally make fun of people because they don't sleep together before marriage? How many shows have you seen where they just say, really, you wouldn't sleep with someone? Because our culture wants to tell you it's okay. It's okay to give a piece of your heart to someone that you didn't leave and cleave to. That you did not make a commitment with. You literally just said, I'm in if you're in. Let's go. And what you're doing is you're giving a piece of your heart every time that you say, 
I'll sleep with this person. I'll sleep with this person. A piece of your heart is going to that person until when you do decide to get married, when you do decide to give your heart to that one, pieces of your heart are already gone. What's left for your spouse? Because you're bringing everybody else that you slept with into that relationship. Second thing that culture wants to tell you, hey, try it out first. Tell you what, I like you. I kind of even love you. So let's buy a couch. I'll buy the fridge. Let's move in together and let's try it out. Let's share toothbrushes, whatever it is you like to do. But that's where it goes. And then all of a sudden something doesn't work. There was no leaving. There was no cleaving. So all of a sudden it's like, hey, it didn't work out. So I'm just going to see myself down the road and find someone else. And what we're doing is we're practicing divorce. We're playing marriage and we're practicing divorce in those situations because we just step out of one relationship and into the next. God established marriage to be a wonderful, healthy, beautiful thing if it's done in the order that God created with God at the center. Elohim, God's image on the earth in marriage. God knew this would be a problem. So Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, it says, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations, excuse me, sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage kept bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So let's get back. Leaving, cleaving, and now weaving. The two becoming one flesh. It happens the day that you make that commitment to that person, but it continues on. It's a process. Every single day, you're weaving more and more together with that person that you love, that you have committed to. Can I tell you something? Year one of Courtney and I being together, I would have been devastated if I had lost her. But can I tell you, at year 18, I would be way more devastated because everything we have experienced together from every situation that we fought through together, everything we've worked together as teamwork to fight our way through and to get through and to have two kids and to raise them together. I would be so much more devastated now. Why? Because we have been woven together more and more every single day. It's the picture of what marriage should be. There's leaving, there's cleaving, there's weaving. Picture a continuum or scale. And in our relationships, there's oneness and there's isolation. Every marriage is moving one direction or the other. If you're married, you're either more on the oneness side or you're more on the isolation side. Are you living as soulmates or are you laboring as roommates? Which is it? Today, we're literally just learning how God established marriage and his desires for him to be at the center. And again, what did Matthew 6.33 promise us from the very beginning? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will fall into place. His kingdom, his righteousness, and everything else will fall into place.
Will you bow your heads with me? Here's what I believe. I believe God is speaking to some marriages right now. And as they're sitting next to one another, or maybe one of you are here and one is not, God is speaking to you about putting him at the center of a relationship where he has not been. And I want to pray for you today. Then there's some of you in the room today who maybe are sitting there saying, Chad, I'm that person that's been doing married things with the person I'm not married to. Here's the awesome thing. The best part of this whole sermon, the, my favorite part to share with you today, none of that was too fun, but can I tell you what's amazing? Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single one of us in the room. That's why we don't have to feel judged. That's why we don't have to feel condemned. We might feel convicted because we chose to do something that wasn't God's way, but you know what? Jesus Christ eliminates any of those choices we've made in the past. And behold, we are created new. We are made new. There may be a husband in here today that needs to be made new. Maybe that marriage bed wasn't kept pure. There may be a wife today needs to be made new. There may be a single person in this room and you say, I need to make that prayer to be made new today. Father, I come to you right now. Lord, I, you know I prayed all week about this, just that there would be a sensitivity in the room to understand my heart, but more than importantly, God, that that everyone in this room and everyone listening today would know your heart. And Lord, as you're speaking to the lives of people, I pray, Lord, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray that they would walk away set free today of choices they may have made in the past, but it doesn't have to be the same. Thank you that you gave us examples of how our marriage should look you created us to be your image on the earth. And when there was a problem, you provided. Just as you do in every one of our lives all the time, you provided. Where Adam was lonely, where Adam needed companionship, you provided. But more than that, you led. You said, not only will I provide, but I want to be the one to lead this relationship, just like every other relationship on this earth. So, Father, I pray that each one of us in the room would make a commitment today, whether married or not, that you would be the center of our world. You would be the center of our life first. That you come first in our life. And as we seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness, you make everything else fall into place. What an incredible promise. And we thank you for that today. Thank you that we can sing songs like, even when I don't see it, you're working. You're working on my behalf. Thank you 
pray that there's forgiveness in the room today. Pray that there's peace. Lord, I pray there's surrender in the hearts of those who need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.